And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The word of the Lord. Um, as we're looking this, this evening at the Gospel of Mark in this reading that Susan just gave us, um, I, I want you to know that as a church, Christ Church Vienna, we are starting a new sermon series that will be during the season of Lent from Ash Wednesday till Easter. We're specifically looking at Mark chapter 8 to 16, which is the second half of the Gospel of Mark. We have a reading plan that's in a bookmark. They should be out on the back if you wanted to read along for yourself and be prepared for a Sunday. Um, and just to set the stage a little bit for you, in, uh, in Mark 1 through 8, which I'm sure you guys all read the past two days, but if you didn't, here's what happens. Jesus happens. And when Jesus happens, he does everything dramatically. And you see it right away because Mark, the writer of, of the Gospel of Mark, he, he does everything with very short sentences and a lot of action. And Jesus is doing all sorts of amazing things. He is healing people. He is casting out demons. He is walking on water, and, and everyone is completely blown away by this. He teaches with authority. He teaches God's law, the covenant, with authority in a way that no other rabbi or teacher did. And he challenges the religious leaders, the powerful, the elite. And every single person who meets him in Mark 1 through 8 is either completely afraid or they're astounded and amazed. Either they are fearful of him and want to get away from him, or they are just in awe of him. And a lot of it has to do with his authority. He has authority over creation itself, over God's creation. He has authority over God's word in a way no one else did. And this authority brings fear and awe and actually a lot of confusion. Most of the people respond to Jesus again and again with, who is this? Even his own disciples who were with him for years said, who is this who the wind and the waves obey? Nobody can figure out who he is. Nobody's willing to say who he is except for the demons. He casts out demons and they're all like, hey, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, get away from us. They know who he is. Until we get to the very end of Act 1. It's in verse 30 of chapter 8. We didn't read it today, but Jesus says to the disciples, he's just with them, and he says, who do people say that I am? And then he turns to, to the disciples specifically and says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter boldly says, you are the Christ, 
And at that point, the curtains close. It's the end of Act 1. We get to the end of Act 1 in Mark 8.30, and we hear this, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the King. And then in verse 32, or verse 31 and 32 that we read, we get the beginning of Act 2. Jesus is saying that he is not just a king, he is not just the Christ, he is a king going to a cross. And the rest of Mark 8 is Jesus, and into chapter 9 and on to the end, is Jesus heading with his disciples towards the cross and reminding them again and again, this is where he's going. So let me reread a couple of verses here as Jesus tells the disciples what he came to do. Yes, I am the king, I am the Christ, just like you said, Peter. But then he begins to teach them that the Son of Man, which is another way of saying the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind on the things, not on the things of God, but on the things of man. So Jesus tells his disciples right after Peter has said, You're the Christ, you're the King, you're the Messiah, the one we're waiting for. And Jesus says, Yes, and the Son of Man must suffer, be rejected by everyone, be killed. And on the third day, he will rise again. And Peter, hearing this, is, is like, what? That, he's, he's really feeling defeated right now, isn't he? Is he having a bad couple of days? He's just kind of down on himself. Like, Jesus, he needs a pep talk or something, I think is what Peter's thinking. He's like, no way, no way this is going to happen, Jesus. You're not going to be rejected. Everyone loves you. Be, be suffering and die. You have power to cast out demons and to walk on water. We're going to win this thing. Stop being afraid, Jesus. And Jesus, of course, <laughs> calls him Satan, the deceiver and liar. He says, you're thinking about the things of man, not the things of God. You see, the idea of a Christ or a Messiah who would die on a cross, that sounds normal to us because we're 2,000 years later, and we have never really seen crosses in action. But the faithful in Israel, the faithful in Israel actually never connected God's Christ, the Messiah, with the suffering, rejection, and death that Jesus was predicting. Well, it had been written in the book of Isaiah, who wrote 700 years before Jesus, about a suffering servant, one who would suffer. But most of the rabbis and all of the religious people of the day of Jesus did not actually make the connection with the Messiah, the Christ, to come. One commentator summed it up this way, the, the view of the first century religious people in Jesus' day was that the Messiah was supposed to defeat evil and injustice and make everything right. And how do you defeat evil and justice, injustice if you are constantly rejected and then you die? If no one likes you and then they kill you, you can't really defeat evil and injustice. And Peter fits into that category. But he has a little bit more, too. Peter has a vision for his own life as one of the followers of Jesus. He has a vision for his own life in the fellowship of Jesus, who is the Christ, the King, the Messiah. And Peter's vision does not include suffering, 
or rejection or being murdered. That was not what he was signing up for. And I actually kind of buy into what Peter is, is dealing with here. Because I'm not just kind of putting this on because I'm supposed to talk about this tonight, but I want to follow Jesus, but without being rejected and without suffering. When I thought about my own anxieties and fears, we all have anxieties and fears, at root of most of my anxieties and fears is a fear of rejection or loss. Loss of something important to me. And most of my prayers, my begging prayers, are to avoid suffering, either for me or for people I love. See, I want to be a pastor, which I am, and a Christian, like a pastor and a Christian, and live an easy, long life. It's not too much to ask. I just want to be really successful. That's all, Jesus. And I do. Like I say that I want to follow Christ forever, but really I want an easy, non-suffering life. And Jesus calls Peter Satan. That's, he, that's what he calls him. And says, you're thinking about the things of man because Peter is rejecting being rejected and suffering as the way of the Christ. Jesus goes on to teach the disciples about the way of following him, about being a disciple. We see this in verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, if anyone would come after me. That means if anyone wants to be a disciple of mine, and another way to say that is if you want to be a Christian, because that's what a disciple is, a follower of Jesus. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, we hear that, and often we jump to the metaphor of my cross that I have to carry. And, and it's natural for us to think about hardships we're dealing with, a particularly challenging family member, or just suffering in general and personal struggles. And carrying your cross is sort of related to that, but it wouldn't have been in the mind of the first century person hearing Jesus that day. When the disciples were sitting around in the crowds and Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, they thought of an actual Roman cross, a crucifixion. It was a vivid and horrifying image of death. So horrible that they could not uh, use it on Roman citizens. Only slaves and rebels and criminals. It was torturous and grotesque and evil. And to carry your cross was something that they made those who were condemned do. They would have to carry the crossbeam. You've seen this in movies. Carry the crossbeam through the city in total public shame and a clear demonstration of who was in control. You might have been a rebel thinking you were going to overthrow Rome and Rome's being the, they're the ones forcing you to carry your own instrument of death through the city and out to the trash heaps to be crucified. To carry a cross was public shame and the worst future imaginable. What's your worst future imaginable? Jesus says, hey, if you want to be my disciple, imagine that. That's where we're going. So taking up your cross can't be just hardship, even if you have a lifelong hardship or suffering. Because it must start with or must include with an actual literal possibility of a horrid death for following Jesus. 
In other words, a basic condition of discipleship is to join Jesus on the way to execution. And it's not just for some, like the chosen elite who get to be martyred. He says, if anyone wants to follow me, they must be willing to follow me to the worst possible thing. How do we do that? Well, Jesus says it right beforehand when he says, deny yourself. I mean, just reading this again, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it. For whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. You know, that word self, there's a Greek word behind it that basically means soul or psyche or life. It's translated self or soul or life different places. You could also think about it as ego, but um, one writer, Tim Keller, in his book, Jesus the King, which was on the book of Mark, he puts it in more modern terms when he talks about the self as your identity, the thing that makes me me, the thing we're all after. And Keller goes on to say, don't build your identity on gaining the world as a retranslation of what Jesus is saying. But the problem is this. Every culture that has ever existed, they build their identity on something. It's whatever it is that you set out there is, I will gain the world if I have this. And if I don't have that, I've lost everything. Traditional cultures, it might be parents' approval or having family, being married and having many children or your reputation in the community. But in more modern and individualistic cultures, we ask questions like this. We think about it. Who are you if you don't have money? Who are you if you don't have a good career? Or the identity we're looking for is that authentic self, the true me, the one I discover so I can do what I want and be happy. Jesus is saying, if you want a true identity, if you want to be the real you, you need to deny yourself. Lose yourself for my sake. Any other self, will, you will fall short on getting it. You will never get your parents' full approval. You'll always be in danger of not having enough money. The things that we're after are so ephemeral. And even if you do get it, it's going to disappoint you or enslave you. And it can't satisfy the depths of your need. We're looking for a self that cannot be satisfied by anything in this world. We want to be somebody, we want to matter, and we want it to last. And so Jesus says, okay, the starting place is to deny yourself. And deny is actually (laughs) the same thing that Peter does later on when he denies Jesus three times. To deny is literally to sever the relationship completely. Total abandonment of the relationship. Jesus is saying, do that with yourself. Which means, I think, refuse to be led by my own interests. Surrender control of my future, or my preferred future, my definition of what I want my life to be about. To deny myself is the abandonment of my identity as just mine my autonomy, my choice, things that I can do what I want, how I want. Deny yourself. One writer from 40 years ago put it this way, it's not the denial of something to the self, but the denial of the self itself. So those of you who have done Lent as a tradition might have given up chocolate, deny yourself something you really like, 
or, or you deny yourself, you know, some particular food or drink, don't eat meat on, on Fridays or whatever it is, right? You deny yourself bodily. And he's saying, that's not what Jesus is saying. It's not deny something to yourself. It's literally the denial of the self itself. Jesus says, for my sake and for the gospels. So we're not just doing things, denying ourselves, trying to follow Jesus in some way that we just figure out on our own. He says, for my sake and for the gospels. In other words, what he's not saying is stop living for your mom's approval. Stop living for what you want. Stop living for what the world says. Try to be a better person. That's not what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is you need to deny yourself and live for me and me alone. You will find yourself when you seek Jesus alone. C.S. Lewis wrote about this years ago in Mere Christianity. I'm going to read a more extended piece on this when he says this. How do we deny ourselves and follow Christ? Well, we seek Jesus, and then we will find ourselves. Lewis writes, when I turn to Christ, when I give myself to him, I finally have a real self all my own. But you must not go to Christ for the sake of a new self. As long as you are bothering about you, you are not going to him at all. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Submit to the death of your ambitions and wants every day. With every fiber of your being, keep back nothing. But know this, nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only loneliness, despair, anger, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. You know, Peter rebukes Jesus when he's talking about going to suffering and the cross. Peter rebukes Jesus because Peter has an agenda, a way he wants Jesus' reign and Jesus' kingdom to go in a way he wants and expects his own life to go. If, if you still have an agenda, if you still have an agenda, you're, you're using Jesus. He's not yet your Savior and Lord. So Lent, again, for those of you who have been a part of it or maybe haven't, is often a time of fasting and prayer and spiritual disciplines. And in that way, it's a lot like New Year's resolutions, and so people often think, okay, what do I need to deal with in my life? And what do I want, you know, I, I need to lose a few pounds. Therefore, my New Year's resolution is I'm going to exercise more, whatever it is. We, we often are thinking about ourselves in a season of Lent and in certain spiritual seasons for um, how do I become a better me? Less insecure, less easily angered, less jealous of other people, less anxious, less anxious about money or about my kids, or my future, or the opinions of other people. But this Lent, I think what Jesus is calling us to is to seek Jesus. So don't go to Jesus just to get your problems fixed or solved. Go to Jesus for Jesus, to be with him. And so we meditate on the cross and all that he's done for us. That's the gospel. And let his love for us sink in. 
So go to Jesus just to get Jesus, not to fix the problems. But in going to Jesus, it will transform how we approach all of this world. Jesus' love for you will kill you. It will kill yourself. But it's a death that always leads to true life. Let's pray. Jesus, as we follow you on the way of the cross, the idea of denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following you sounds really hard. The invitation to come to you, to seek you, to spend time with you, and to rest in your love for us, that sounds a whole lot better. And yet in doing that, we know that you will transform us, our wants and desires, so that we will follow you. Move us on that road this week and this month and these years. That we will find our true self in finding you. Amen.